This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. Lana Silk, welcome to Viral Jesus. I was pregnant with our third and God called us away. And man, that was that was really tough for me because at that point I didn't know God's sort of plans for us, his his call, his bigger call on our lives, this pioneering call that I believe he's given us. So I had plans. I'm a planner. <laughs> and my plan was that I would pretty much live and die in the same town. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. You are in for a treat for today's episode. This is the truth. I have not stopped thinking about my conversation with Lana Silk since I had it. I learned so, so much from her that I have truly implemented into my real life. I am telling you ahead of time, this is my warning from the professor, you're going to want to take notes. It's that good. But before we get to that, are you ready for Social Toolkit? This is where we discover tips and best practices for entering the chat. Today, I want to talk to you about YouTube. Now, I am not at all a YouTuber. I just, in the last few weeks, started investing in a high-quality camera, and I just want to tell you why. I personally believe all of social media is favoring video right now. For the first time, all the major social media players have algorithms that favor video. Also, I need you to understand this. This is super important if you're a content creator. YouTube is the second most visited website in the world and one of the only platforms that is used by every age demographic. I have decided it is time to invest in YouTube, to invest in a camera, because I see it as an investment in the future of social. I have avoided YouTube my entire career, and I have so much to learn. I have so much to learn on this journey about that space, but I'm convinced that we have to think about creating quality videos to go with whatever content you're creating. If you are a podcaster, what videos are you placing onto YouTube? Because the algorithm for podcasting is just isn't a great algorithm, right? Like people can't find your stuff. You can't be searched in the same way without knowing the title to your show. YouTube gives you a space to show up in people's searches as they're looking for whatever type of niche podcast you're creating. I think for books, we need videos that go along with it. And of course, social media everywhere. Video is king. So here is the camera that I ended up getting. 
And it was super pricey. I want you to know that ahead of time. This is a, a massive investment if you're ready to take this plunge. It was almost $4,000. But I did a lot of research and I trust the YouTubers that were giving me different tips. And this is the camera that kept coming up. I decided to purchase the Sony FX3 full frame cinema camera. Now, I am not sponsored by them. I am just telling you what my digging revealed so that you can add another tool to your social toolkit. Today, we sit down with Lana Silk. Lana Silk was born in Iran, and her parents and family have served the Iranian church her whole life. In the late 1980s, they felt the call of God to move their young family west. This was a decision they wrestled with as their hearts were tied to Iran and the increasingly persecuted church there. In their own words, they say, we did not want to abandon our flock. However, through a series of supernatural interventions, God made it clear to them and to the other pastors on their team that he had a different plan for them. In obedience, they left for Europe in 1988. Today, their ministry, Transform Iran, it's formerly known as the 222 Ministries, has been training leaders to plant churches in 17 nations. Many of those churches are underground congregations in Iran and Afghanistan. Over 100,000 are now following Jesus Christ. They are also discipling these believers. I cannot wait for you to hear the wisdom in my conversation with Lana Silk. So Lana, I like to start these conversations by doing my internet groundwork ahead of time and looking up the person I'm going to sit across for the next 30 minutes. And for you, I went to your LinkedIn. Now, I think this is the first time on Viral Jesus that we are using a LinkedIn post. This is from your LinkedIn and it says this, my father was called upon to minister to the American hostages when the U.S. Embassy in Tehran was taken by radicals back in 1979. He was ready. We don't know why God chooses us or when he will, but will we be ready when the call comes? Can you please tell us more about that story? It's a really exciting story. Um, it is a story about divine appointments and being mm. ready for those moments. So I don't know how much your viewers will know about the backstory here, but there was a time in 1979, and this is right when the revolution had happened and the regime in Iran was changing hands from a monarchy, a secular monarchy, to an Islamic theocracy. And they raided the U.S. embassy and took a whole lot of American staff from the embassy hostage. And those mm. Americans were held hostage for uh, over a year. So a very wow. long time. And it, it was a big point of contention, as you can imagine, politically between the countries. And no one knew what their, where they were, um, what their health situation was. There was no communication except with the Iranians who were holding them hostage, who were reporting back and making demands and so on. And it got to Easter time and they connected with my father and he was the only one who had that phone call and wow. asked him if he wanted to come in and minister to the American hostages with, uh, the first thing was a, a an Easter service, communion, and just ministering to them as a pastor. He did invite some others to come with him and they went in there and he tells a story about how they blindfolded him. They didn't know, they wanted 
him to be unaware of the location of the hostages. But he had an incredible time in there being God's healing balm to those hostages that were totally disheveled and waiting and not knowing their future. And he actually tells a story about a specific man who was so upset wanting his wife to know that he was okay. And, you know, just that turmoil. She doesn't even know if I'm still alive. You know, I Mm. wish I could get word to her. And in the moment, my dad said, well, actually, I'm traveling to Europe on business next week. Would you like me to give her a call? (laughs) So he took his wife's phone number and he made the phone call to the wife as well after he um, was out of the country and was able to minister to his wife as well. Um, So, you know, when those moments of high impact, high intensity come, then there's no time to get on our knees and think, oh, Lord, now I need your spirit. And oh, Lord, now I need some Mm -hmm. anointing. That, That preparatory work should have already been done. When that moment comes, we need to be ready to hit the ground running. And praise God he was. And he has set an example, as has my mother, for us. We have four daughters in our family. And we've been raised with that in mind that, you know, we have to be ready. God has divine appointments for us. He has an incredible, awesome call and task for us and unique to each of us. And what a shame it would be if we weren't ready when that moment came. I want to ask you about that, about kind of what your experience is like being raised in a family like this. Your guys' family's ministry is way bigger than mine, but I understand what it means to be born and be grafted into a larger family story. And truly, as Christians, we all get grafted into a much larger story arc of scripture. But how has the stories that went before you changed your experience or how you see God as you were growing up? Oh, what a great question. I think that's true for all of us, that the stories of those that have gone before us and are around us should be that positive influence in us, raising expectation for what can do, fueling our faith, um, challenging, provoking. And it's up to us in many ways to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves by those right stories too, because we could be hearing stories that um, devalue us and lower our expectations Mm. and reduce our faith. So that's on us then to be thinking, what am I feeding on? What am I filling my mind with and my spirit with that will get me to a point where I'm charged and ready to go and expectant for God to use me? Um, So for me, I suppose I didn't have to work too hard for that because we were brought up in an environment that was a um, the beginnings of a persecuted church. It was much Mm. worse after we left the country. Um, but in those early days already, we knew that we were up against it a little bit. Um, and you know, Charles Spurgeon says that religion that costs a man nothing is usually worth nothing. And that was definitely an undercurrent that there is a cost to this and it is definitely worth it. And our lives are for a higher purpose than our immediate gratifications and immediate needs. So, um, we saw that being modeled all around us and we saw the fruit of it and the joy and the excitement and adventure of it. And that's what we wanted. So um, it was a privilege, a real privilege. And I'm forever grateful to God for having put me in that position where I got to witness that. And I had to make that choice early on, whether God was worth all of it. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood, Alana, growing up in Iran and then moving, I think it was at the age of 10, yes. right? Can you talk to and, and your guys' work and transform Iran? Uh, well, Iran was um, definitely an Islamic environment. Um, I went to school in Iran and I, I wasn't old enough by the time we left to have been fully in that system, but the school system will teach you 
Arabic and the Quran. And, you know, there is there is a sense of indoctrination. I, uh, there's no other word for it right from the beginning, even as a young girl. So I had sort of my elementary school years in Iran. And at that stage, I remember um, the uniform was the hijab. You know, we had a, like an opening for our head and it was like almost like a balaclava. You'd pull over your head and you would just have your face showing and no hair could be seen. Everything was loose fitting, loose pants, like almost like a raincoat over the top of it. So you can see the form. I remember the older girls turning up in jeans that were more fitted and having wow. seen that they would take scissors and cut up the inseam of these girls' jeans while they were wearing them. And then they would send them home and say, now go and get dressed properly. So, you know, that, that sense all the time that you have to not be fully seen, that you have to be modest. But they would line us up in the playground in the morning. Um, you know, you can't really do exercise in that outfit. Um, so our morning routine was jumping jacks in the name of exercise. And then we would have to shout death to America, death to Israel. Wow. It's funny, it still gets me today. Yeah. Um, of course, I would mime it or try not to say it. And I knew better than to really believe it. But the, the sense was still there that every day, they're trying to, even from a young age, get these children to learn that, you know, we stand against these countries, we stand against these regimes. And the, it's everywhere, all over the walls, you know, the murals all around the city. You could see all these, the propaganda that was all about mm. how Israel is the enemy, America is the enemy, and how they would glorify the Islamic regime and their martyrs, Um so that was the atmosphere. and But we went to church in that atmosphere because church was not yet illegal. Uh, and, you know, we were brought up as Christians. My parents were Christians. So there was this constant, um, you know, the fish against the flow that we are, we are different to the world around us. We stand hmm. for something different to those around us. And right from the beginning, it gave us that um, strength and uh, and will to to stand up for something that is different, even if it's different to everyone around you. Um, so, yeah. How did your family become Christian? Ah, uh, that's a fun story. Um, my dad's dad was okay. a nominal Christian. Um, okay. He, he, we are of Armenian descent, and many Armenians would con- just consider themselves Christian by birthright almost. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but it was a religion, really. And uh, he, when he was engaged to his fiancée, he happened to read the New Testament for the first time. And as he got into the book of Acts, he was gripped by what he read. Mm-hmm. And he called his fiancée, she was in a different town at the time, and said, look, I've been reading the Bible and been reading what God does, do, can do. And it's not what I have in my life. And I want it. So unless you want the Hmm. same thing, we shouldn't get married. (laughs) Wow. He was right from the beginning, really gripped. So she said, oh, send it to me. He sent her a Bible and she was also gripped by it and said, no, I want the same thing. So they made a decision back then to pursue everything that God had for us. Hmm. Um, And then a little bit further on. So his family was an influential family in his um, village. (laughs) And um, but wealthy, he he was again fish against the flow. You know, he could have had a, a career path. He could have mm. been, but he decided he wanted to pursue the things of God. He actually ended up working for the American Bible Society. Um, mm. And as he was working there, he came across a magazine that was talking more about the Holy Spirit and the things that happen when the Holy Spirit fills you. And he wanted more, so he went on a forty-day fast. And I'm cutting through lots of details, but at the end of it. He- was filled with the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way they actually fell off his bike on the way home. Wow. <laughs> they have a photo of the sons with him standing there with his bike. Like this was the moment when God really met Papa, we used to call him. 
Um, and from there, he started nightly meetings in their home, first for his own family. They had six children, mm. three boys and three girls. And for three years in the end, they met every night as a family, praying, worshiping together. At the beginnings of that, it was just the eight of them. And they were all totally hit by the Holy Spirit and the power of God in their lives. And my dad was six when that happened. So, And his younger brother was three. So they used to always joke about how Uncle Luki used to speak in the spirit before he even spoke his Armenian properly. <laughs> um, so they had that encounter and that's that's the kind of legacy. And out of that was born mm. what is now the spirit-filled movement in Iran that, that people started joining those meetings, getting saved, getting healed. And it got so big they had to rent a building and continue from there. So I grew up in that atmosphere and my, my mom got saved through those meetings. They were involved in church leadership gotcha. their whole life in various guises. And by the time I came along, they were well into ministry. Talk to us about what is happening with the Transform Iran nonprofit. It was originally called 222 Ministries, and I was watching you on another um, podcast interview, and I was interested in that story just because something I've noticed about you as I've watched several different interviews that you've done now is all of these Holy Spirit stories, which I think a lot of times in the West, like we talk about the Holy Spirit, everybody, we always ask the Holy Spirit to come, but... I don't think it's as normal to like have all these stories of, oh, and then, God, and I see that in you and that's why I'm intrigued by it. And I would love to hear more. Tell us about the 222 Ministries and then why you guys changed the name. Yes. Um, so, you know, my brother-in-law often says the Holy Spirit is not heaven's butler. Hmm. <laughs> and I think we need to remember that, you know, he's not just the delivery service of what the father and the son can do. There is, we, we do ourselves a disservice if we don't tap into the whole Godhead. Yes. The and there is something that the spirit brings mm. that Jesus himself said that he cannot. He said, I'm going so you can have the spirit mm. and it will be so powerful in you. So um, in our pursuit of God, we must make sure that we pursue all of God I love and that. everything that he has for us. Um, so absolutely, the Holy Spirit is a critical, critical part of that puzzle. And he has led myself, my parents, our family in so many specific ways setting the trajectory for our lives and he's wonderful <laughs> like that so yes our call out of Iran was spirit-led mm. um, I was nine when the Lord spoke to my parents and told them he wanted them to leave the country now you've got to see remember the context the um, revolution had happened about nine years ago the war with Iraq had taken a pretty much mm. a decade and it was just wrapping up so we were a real point of sort of um, stability coming because the war had ended and yet the regime now being able to focus internally and, uh, you know, persecution intensifying for the Christians. Many people, many Christians were leaving the country and my parents were committed and are committed to the church in Iran. Mm. So they were conflicted when they, God spoke to them. I see. And they spoke to each other, checked this with each other. Oh no, maybe God's speaking to both of us. Let's go and pray. That's always the good first course. So they went and decided to not discuss it for a month and pray and fast and see what the Lord was saying to them individually. Um, and they kept a journal. And then when they compared notes at the end of the month, it was all the same. Wow. It was very clear. It's time for you to leave. Um, so they took it to the overseeing pastor of the church, happened to be my dad's best friend, mm. um, probably also, you know, conflict of interest there. And then when they brought it up with him, he said, no, you've heard wrong. We need you here. Mm. And they said, that's fine. That's where we want to be. But God spoke to him, Uncle Hike, I knew him as in his dream and said to him, no, you need to, they need to go. Mm. So there was a lot of 
immediate commotion where he came like knocking on the door early hours in the morning, actually that you heard right and God has confirmed it to me. And there's a sense of urgency to it. So within a matter of weeks, we had packed up and left. Wow. Um, and we didn't know where. And I love that. I love how that parallels um, a little bit to how God spoke to Abraham, yeah. wanting to elevate us to the status of Abraham. But, you know, no, the, but these, these stories are important and they're there for a reason because it is, I think, yeah. patterns and, and ways that God works through humans. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And ultimately, the Bible is God's story yes. rather than. Abraham's right. story or David's story. And I what I love about this part of it is when God calls Abraham out, he doesn't give him the whole picture. Right. He just calls him out. At first, he needs to step away. And when he stepped away in the sort of the middle ground, then God says, okay, now I'm actually taking you there. And that first step of obedience with the unknown ahead, I think is really important. And I think for all of us, there will be times in our lives when we need to do yes. that. And we don't know exactly why or where or when but we do know something needs to happen and we need to take action. So we took action and we came out of Iran. And after we came out, the Lord spoke to them and said, the church is about to be driven underground and it will be much more heavily persecuted. Mm. And I'm going to need you here to support what will become this underground church. So it began out of that. It grew a lot of momentum. They gathered Christians in Europe to pray and seek the Lord together. And as it grew and grew, it became clear this was more than just, you know, this was a movement. And so then they went to the Lord and asked him for more direction. And he gave them the numbers 222. And so they went digging in the word to see what that was leading them to. And it took them to 2 Timothy 2.2, mm. which is a discipleship verse. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So there's this domino effect. You've heard me say something. Now you're entrusting it to someone of quality of character, reliable, and they will then also pass it on. Um, and so they recognized that the mission was discipleship, leadership development, and preparing for what is now a great harvest that we can hardly keep up with. Wow. So they called it 222 Ministries, and that is still very true to our core, you know, that 2 Timothy 2.2 is still the foundation to what we do. But a couple of years ago, the Lord spoke to us again and said, I, I want you to dream much bigger mm. and think about a whole nation. And, and as we saw him then transform Iran became the name. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19 and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And. When you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. Just thinking about what you said about God often calling us with very little 
direction. Of, of course, he provides it as we follow. But I just, I, I do, I wonder how many of us lose the experiences with God that he's actually calling us into because we are unwilling to go where there is no map, right? Mm. And so then we forfeit an opportunity to experience these bigger stories that we could, that God maybe was calling us into in our lives, but we never get to have those faith, power experiences with him. And I'm even the word faith, like I've been reading a lot of literature lately about how um, trust is a better word, mm. right? And even when you just said that, that hit me really hard in my heart. Like, yes, you have to trust God to be able to step out into a country where I don't know anybody, right? Or switch jobs or switch towns or what, or switch church, whatever it is God is calling you into where there is no map. That requires our trust. Actually, I wanted to ask you this because on a different interview, I saw that you said your husband and you both have a pioneering spirit. And it's on this idea of being able to move when God calls you to move. And that is just, I really resonated with that because I think it is so difficult for us to do as we like, you know, try to build our communities here in certain towns or our wealth in certain towns. And so the ability to get up and move when God says move, talk to us about why you think that's important. Oh, yeah, I think it's critically important. Now, he doesn't always call us all to move geographically. Okay. But there's definitely a move in our spirit mm. shifting to into new seasons, allowing God to be God in our lives, stepping into uncomfortable situations so that God can stretch us and mold us and make us more like him. Because at the end of the day, he wants us and our character and our intimacy with him more than he wants our service. Mm. Uh, he doesn't need our service in, as much as we'd like to think, mm. <laughs> but he delights in it. So I think that's first. But yes, for us, that has required um, some physical moves as well. This is now our it, discounting my move out of Iran, and I can't take credit for that. We were <laughs> following my mom and dad. Um, that they were so good in having us be part of that yeah. and you know sharing that adventure. But my husband and I, when we made our own decisions as adults, we've now made a couple moves where it's been very, very uncomfortable. And we've had to really rely in knowing that God has spoken. So part of that comes with knowing what it sounds like yeah. when he speaks. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And I, I want to know what my father sounds like. And I want to follow when he says, come. And by God's grace, I've been able to do that. And I intend to keep doing that. Um, both our moves have been to places where we knew no one. Hmm. Once within England, I was pregnant with our third and God called us away. And man, that was that was really tough for me because at that point, I didn't know God's sort of plans for us, mm. his, his call, mm. his bigger call on our lives, this pioneering call that I believe he's given us. So I had plans. I'm a planner. Yeah. <laughs> and my plan was that I would pretty much live and die in the same town. I, of all my sisters, I've been the least adventurous through my childhood. <laughs> I had no intention of doing anything exciting. I was very happy, you know, to serve him, to love him, yeah. to share my faith, but to stay in that same town and know the same people my whole life. Mm. And then, I mean, it's another whole story, but God spoke to us prophetically within the spirit. And he very specifically told us that he wanted us to, um, my husband had had a job offer. He'd been headhunted and he told us that he wanted us to accept the offer. This was before we had the offer. Wow. We knew the offer was coming and we knew that we would need to say yes. And man, that was so tough for me. And I remember my, I left my two sons, two and four years old with my mom 
my husband had already gone ahead because his job had started and we'd bought the house and I packed things up and I went to join him by myself and my parents were going to bring the boys up a week later so that we could make the house feel a little bit like home for them. And I'm crying because I'm remembering the intensity of that emotion yeah. because I was, I literally cried. It was a two and a half hour drive and I wept the whole way. And I had Chris Tomlin in the background singing, where you go, I'll go. <laughs> and you know, that, that was what I wanted. I only wanted to be where God was yeah. and I wouldn't have had it any differently. And I, you know, I had the vision of the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud moving. And I knew the blessing was in its, in its shadow yes. and it was moving. So yes, my life there where we lived was blessed and it was good, but now God was moving and that didn't mean that blessing would stay with me. So I wanted to stay with him. So I wanted that, but it was wrenching. Yes. It was really difficult. And you know, when we made that move, like I say, we knew no one and we had 10 years there and God blessed us in every possible way. We had friends like we'd never had before. Mm. We had community like we'd never experienced before. We grew, God taught us things. He led us to plant a church. I mean, there were so many things that he did in our lives that were things we'd never expected we would do. And it was because we were where he was. Um, but he was kind because he knows me yeah. and he told me when we made that move, he said, you're moving again. Hmm. So I knew that when I made that move, that wasn't going to be my forever home either. And I was always ready. And we raised our children with that sense that you're always listening. You're all, you know, hold it all lightly. You, you invest, you, you put roots yeah. down, you love people, you pour into the community, but you don't assume that that's it forever god god might have new things so the children knew all the way through their elementary years and high school for the older one that at some point god would say you're moving again and we would gladly follow and so then he took us across the ocean to the states we're in ohio now (laughs) and that was tough too that was tough too but we'd learned you know god is gentle and kind he's he's he warms you into these things we'd had uh, move within England and now so this was a slightly more again it's, it talks about stretching your tent curtains isn't it and and just expanding a little bit let taking on more territory just it, all of that comes with discomfort mm. but as you do that then your capacity increases and you know that scripture talks about how your descendants will inherit and it's, so this is about legacy mm. inhabit the desolate desolate cities it says so I feel like God God allows us that kind of legacy, that kind of capacity, that kind of influence if we're prepared for him to stretch us and take us into new territories. So, um, And I know that he'll move us again and I'm ready for it. And again, we love where we are. We love the people here. We're going to pour our lives into this community for as long as we're here, but we're ready. Mm. When our assignment is up and he takes us somewhere else, we will gladly follow. I want to ask you for the person who's listening right now and in the last week or day or month, they felt like God was calling them into something. How do they know when it's God? How That is like one of the number one questions I think a lot of Christians wrestle with is, is this just me or is this the Holy Spirit? What advice would you give to somebody who's wrestling with that right now? It's such a common wrestle. It really is. Um, I think part of that is about learning intimacy with the spirit. Mm. And like you know, we talked about my sheep know my voice, knowing what he sounds like and how he speaks to you. He speaks to each of us differently. Um, my mother-in-law used to talk about peace. And before I met her, I have to say, I always used to think people would say, oh, I have peace. I used to think that was a cop-out. Like, 
yeah, peace means you want to do it. <laughs> and it's like, what does that mean? So I'd, I never used to really buy it until I met her and I saw what it looked like mm. for the peace that passes understanding to lead someone. And, you know, when she said she had peace, I could see that the atmosphere would shift and there was a settling in her heart and she knew that God had spoken to her. So it could be as simple as that supernatural peace of the Lord on your mm. spirit. For me, I'm I'm an emotional person. I'm passionate mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can be, you know, my emotions can be like this. So I don't trust my emotions, even my peace. Um, I trust words and I need the Lord to speak to me even audibly, mm-hmm. if not definitely verbally and I um I prefer <laughs> that's the wrong word <laughs> but I prefer that God um sort of writes on the wall like Lord <laughs> I need you to make it really clear and he's done that yes. every time he's done it God knows our heart yeah. he knows if we're testing him if we're playing games or if we're just desperate to really know if it's him mm. and he will he will speak to us in a way that we can understand him but it comes out of intimacy this is when we talked about being ready yeah now, you can't just suddenly conjure up a relationship in two minutes and want to know what he's saying that takes time to build and it's a two-way dialogue you know I talk to him he talks to me we converse day to day we live in intimacy so then when that moment comes when I need to know what he wants then I know how to how to receive that from mm. him. Um, but let me give you a few practical things as well that have helped me. Um, my pastor in our church in London used to talk about the three R's of decision-making, the romance, the revelation, and the reality. Mm. And he used to say that if you're not certain, then you need to make sure that those three things are in place. Okay. But otherwise, you want to make sure at least two of them are so strong that they overshadow the rest. So let me give you an example. It might be that God has given you a word, a prophetic word. That's the revelation. And it might be that he's put it on your heart. So that's the romance. You want to do it. But the reality isn't lining up. Mm. All the practicals, but the finances, but this, but the plans. But it's okay because God has spoken clearly and he said it on your heart. So you you run with it in obedience. Uh, so any, you know, you can do that same example in any yeah. two ways. And it's it's allowing God to to use all those situations to speak to us. You know, the scripture that says, I will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I think we misquote that so often. We think that means God's going to give us what we want. But actually that's saying, I will put in yes. your heart your desires. I will make you want what I want you to want, mm. <laughs> is what he's really saying. So that's the romance. If we live again in intimacy, then we allow God to lead even our desires so that we want what he wants and all the realities lining up, then maybe there hasn't been writing on the wall, but maybe he just wants to step out in faith. Mm. So it's an exploration. It's a finding that sweet spot, how it works with God. But that's the beauty of relationship. It's unique to every every two that come together. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you believe the American church can learn from the persecuted church in Iran? I think one of the greatest things there is to do with cost. You know, mm. what's it costing us? Um, the persecuted church is paying a heavy price for their choice to follow Jesus. And we don't pay that kind of price here. So we have to be thinking all the time, how do I put myself in a position? How do I allow God to use me in in uncomfortable places, in new places, that that will cost me something. Mm. Without cost, then value drops. You know, our Bibles are free. I've got like six translations on my bookshelf and all the various resources I can dig into. Whereas it's 
illegal for someone to even have one copy of the Bible in Iran. Mm -hmm. And when they do, if their house was to be searched, there's a Bible there, they're in big trouble. So now this book is like gold, you know, it's valuable. Mm -hmm. And you don't let that sit on your shelf gathering dust. You're paying a high price just to have it. So we have to keep asking ourselves, what is this worth? Am I reminding myself that what I have here is treasure, huge treasure? Jesus talks about selling everything just so you can get to that one pearl that is worth so much. So our external environment doesn't force that on us. And what we then need to do then is to allow God to inspire us to create that that environment for ourselves so that we can be thinking, okay, it's all free. It's all easy. I can take it and leave it as I want. But how am I going to live for God in such a way that it still costs me something? It still pushes me into territories that I'm uncomfortable where I can be completely reliant on God. I think that's a big part of it. Value and cost, you know, so much comes with that, the taking risks for God, commitment to God, all in for God, total dependence on God. Those things happen naturally when you're forced. Mm. But if you're not forced, how do you create that environment for yourself? And that comes with being willing to be uncomfortable, willing to go and speak to that checkout lady in Walmart and, you know, sharing what God's just put on your heart, willing to be unpopular or (laughs) uncool, you know, all those things, those are baby steps, but they take us to a place where we're completely reliant and sold out for God. Lana, I just want to tell you, there is just something about you. As I'm sitting here, I'm not kidding. There is something really beautiful and inviting and wise about you. And I just want to say that to your face through the computer, but I just want to say it to you. I so appreciate you. Lana Silk is the chief executive officer of Transform Iran. You can learn more about this ministry at transformiran.com. Lana, our show is called Viral Jesus. Here's the question I ask everybody to close. What do you think it means to be a Christian when we are online? Oh, that's a great question. Nice, nice move not prepping me for that. (laughs) But it's good because you get the raw immediate. (laughs) Um, I would say online or offline, we need to be the same person all the time. Mm. So what you're not willing to say to someone's face, don't say behind a screen or behind their back. You know, there's so much cowardice online People hide behind anonymity and just the, the slander, the, the rudeness, the unkindness. And I think, wow, I want to be Jesus or like Jesus all the time. And I want to be like Jesus, even when people don't know that it's me. Yeah. Um, so that's our challenge. That's our challenge. Would you be comfortable with Jesus standing right behind your shoulder with what you're looking at online and what you're typing mm. online? That I think that's probably... Um, An answer to that question. We need to be the same person all the time. Lana Silk is the Chief Executive Officer of Transform Iran. You can learn more about this ministry at transformiran.com. Lana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate it. So what can we learn from my conversation with Lana Silk? So for our wrap-up today, I just want to repeat the three R's. I want to remind you of the advice Lana got from her pastor about how to discern the will of God. It is the best, most articulate thing I've ever heard about how to discern God's will. It's a question that Christians ask all the time. How do I know if I'm supposed to quit my job or move here or take this opportunity or marry this person? Okay, I love this advice. So I'm gonna give it to you right here again, the three R's. She said, we are looking for two of these three R's in combination. So number one, romance. 
What is your heart telling you? Is the desire there? Are you feeling pulled or urged in your heart? Are you feeling romantic about this opportunity? Number two, the second R is revelation. Has God revealed this to you supernaturally? By direct revelation, maybe you had a dream or a word that somebody in your church or somebody that you trust, a mentor just speaks over you. Or maybe you're you're studying, you're going through scripture and it just like whoosh, you feel the spirit of God lead you to this particular scripture that answers the exact situation that you are in. Number two is revelation. Number three, the third R is reality. What is happening in your reality? If you are feeling like you should quit your job to let's say like go into missions, Has a missions organization contacted you? Is that part of your actual reality? Will you in reality be able to do this financially? What are the resources at your disposal right now in reality that support whatever it is you are feeling called to do? Remember, Lana's pastor told her to look for at least two of those three, romance, revelation, and reality. We're just looking for at least two of them in a combination. If you have at least two, Her pastor said, Lana, I would advise you to go with God. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we are sitting down with Jen Schultz. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com slash equip.